Hey, Quinn. Hey, Jillian. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Ash Wednesday. Oh, yes. Ash Wednesday, guys. Woo. Get hyped. I went to mass on my birthday this morning at 8 a.m. and got my ashes, and it was a great time. I was thriving. None of this is relevant because this episode is not going out today um, on Wednesday, February 14th, but that is the time that we exist in, and it, there are too many holidays to ignore, so there you go. Yes, and Valentine's Day is objectively the worst holiday to have your birthday on. It is not great. <laughs> yeah. And okay, don't get me started because people who's b- who are born on Christmas always are like, no, Christmas is the worst holiday to have your birthday on. And I'm like, okay, you maybe get shorted out of presents. I get shorted out of presents, friends. Okay, there was a really aggressive side eye there, but that's fine. Go continue. <laughs> no, because on Valentine's Day, you have to accept the fact that, like, if your friend is um, in a relationship, like, they're going to do something with their SO, which is, like, completely understandable because it's Valentine's Day. But as someone who is selfish, like I am, <laughs> it's like, I can't even say anything, so I'm just going to storm quietly. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that I'm in a relationship. It's okay. You don't have to apologize for being happy. Um, Yes, you do. But then <laughs> but then the second thing is, if you're not in a relationship, like, and it's your birthday, but, like, you're trying to start something, then there's always that, like, awkward, like, that conversation about, like, defining the relationship is even more awkward because it's like, ah, happy birthday slash happy Valentine's Day slash happy Ash Wednesday, you know? So that's also really awkward. Um, and then third, oh, you know, the ever-present awkward Ash Wednesday talk in a relationship. <laughs> so, uh... What are you giving up for Lent? Well, (laughs) and then lastly, if you come in to wherever you are, work or school the next day, um, and you're like hungover, people are assuming that you were watching The Bachelor and crying over chocolate, but maybe I'm just a wild party animal and (laughs) just wanted to turn up on my birthday. Jillian gave up alcohol for Lent. (laughs) Yes, I did. But... Um, hard alcohol, so I'm allowed to have champagne when I finish my thesis. And also, the blood of Christ. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, ha- so happy Valentine's Day, everyone. As a Valentine's Day feature today, uh, we thought we would talk about, um, well, there was an article in the BBC talking about online dating, and uh, the interesting ways that online dating has changed dating uh, for young people in 2018 and in recent years. So, Let's talk about that. How do you, how do you feel about uh, dating apps, Jillian? So I had a Tinder for like a hot five seconds, but then I kind of got like weirded out. So I was just like, mm, maybe not. But I understand why people use them. And also, I feel like Tinder is so universal that like almost everyone has one. So statistically, you're going to have like the most options on Tinder. Um, but then it just depends on like your level of standards, how great that works out for you. Um, But what do you think about Tinder and all the dating apps, Gwen? So I had a Tinder for a little while. Um, I think I actually had a Tinder for over six months. And so I and so I went on some Tinder dates and met some people didn't really work out with anyone from the app. I ended up being in a relationship with someone who I just met in the real world in the organic way. Um, it is weird. It's a very inorganic way to meet someone. I, um, very quickly stopped swiping right on anyone I go to school with because it was just too much of a world collision. Um, and I also very quickly stopped, uh, 
looking at men. <laughs> so on Tinder, you can set your settings for who you are interested in looking at by gender. Um, and they have lots and lots of gender options. And mine was um, set for not men because I used to have it set for everyone. And then, but there are so many more men on Tinder than there are like women seeking women. And so I really wasn't seeing any. And that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to be on the app in the first place was because I don't know how to meet women in real life, um, which is actually like a much broader phenomenon is like dating apps are really, really helpful for queer people. Um, And so eventually I just after like a date or two with a guy, I was like, actually, I just want to meet women now. And so I did that um, and went on some dates and met some people and it was pretty cool. Um, Again, didn't work out with anyone, but I had positive experiences overall. Woo! Yay! going outside the box and trying new things um yeah I think I think I understand like I understand why people are into dating apps I think just for me it just like feels like I don't know I feel like I already have to lie on my resume so that I also like just lying on a dating app is just also I don't know just makes me feel bad why are you lying on the dating app at all <laughs> no I mean I feel like it can be deceiving because when you post pictures, you're obviously going to post like the best pictures you have, right? I actually read this article about this girl who like hired a photographer for like dating profile pictures, and that's apparently a thing. That's a lot. Yeah. It's very much a gamification of the system. So if you're not familiar with Tinder, congratulations. Um, and also, it how it works is you see a person's picture, and then you can click on it and see their bio, which is usually just a few sentences about them. And you either swipe right, which means you were interested in talking to them, or you swipe left, which means I never want to speak to you in my life. Um, and it's that's pretty drastic. I always made jokes that um, there should be a I lo- I've lowered my standards button, and you get back that everyone you swipe left on, and they get put back in the deck. That is hilarious. <laughs> There were times when, anyway. So, <laughs> moving on. Um, so it's fun, and then if if, they, if you both swipe right on each other, then you can have the option to chat, um, and then you just do whatever you want from there. And so you can chat and ex- in the app or exchange numbers and talk outside the app, and it's a whole thing. And uh, and so on one hand, very weird, objectifying of everyone involved because a lot of people swipe left or right just based on the photo um, or photos. You can have multiple. I usually read people's, I think I always read people's bios because I don't, like, I don't want to match with a serial killer, you know, so you got to check for that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they also did this study, I think this was actually more related to a dating website than as opposed to like a dating app like Tinder, Um, but basically they put a picture of like a really attractive woman and then guys would like want to like message her or whatever and then they would give her she uh someone was like pretending to be her and was just giving like really bad responses and just like being like the most boring like person ever but people were still interested in dating her because she was hot and then i think they did the opposite like they did the same thing but from a girl perspective and the results were not (laughs) not the same on a very unscientific level i did notice that um when i was when i set the filters for guys i matched with a very high proportion of the people I swiped right on. And when I was just with girls, I matched with maybe a quarter of the people I swiped right on. And so completely anecdotal evidence, but girls have higher standards. <laughs> this article has some stats from Pew, including that um, 59% of adults think online dating is a good way to meet people. And then 
I thought this was very interesting. In 2005, 20% of same-sex couples met online. In 2010, 70% of same-sex couples met online. Wow. That is... That's that's some statistic, yeah. It's a huge proportion. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it makes sense to me. Like, this was actually my personal experience, um, is that it is hard to meet people um, if you are trying to date the same gender because it's this added level of difficulty because sometimes you're not sure if they're actually interested and it's hard to just chat someone up at a party because you just like I feel like especially for girls because girls are just friendly in general and like I could be 20 minutes into a conversation um, flirting with someone and they could be flirting back and they could still be straight. I don't know. Girls just flirt with people because it's fun and we're nice. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's just like, uh, it just reminds me of when like guys, I I know I'm totally generalizing here, but when guys are like, oh yeah, she was definitely flirting with me. I'm like, or maybe she was just being nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also that. (laughs) Dating is hard, everyone yeah (laughs) yeah hot take a controversial hot take dating is hard (laughs) oh god yeah um another really funny thing is that in france six of the top 10 apps are dating apps (laughs) because like people in france just just really want to date i guess they're all about it i mean who wants to eat croissants by themselves though right you're right. It's hard to be single in France. I have at this point not one, but two couples that I'm friends with who started dating in Paris. Yeah, it was insane. That's just ridiculous. Get it? Like, the river? <laughs> insane. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like with dating apps in general, though, Yes, they're kind of, they're objectifying, and yes, they're a weird gamification of the system, and yes, they're an inorganic way to meet people, but I think I'm in favor. I think that it's interesting, and that it allows you to say, like, oh, I just want to hook up with this person, and if this person just wants to hook up, then that's fine. Like, cool, you're adults. Hypothetically, you're adults. Can you be under 18 on Tinder? Uh, if you lie. Oh, no. We'll come back to that in a sec, because that horrifying thought just occurred to me. But, um... And then if you're looking for an actual relationship, it's not a terrible way to meet people, honestly, because some people are also looking for that. Mm-hmm. Also, it maximizes your efficiency because you get, like, all of the other stuff out of the way. Like the, oh, do you think I'm cute? Oh, do you think I, do I think you're cute? Unclear. Yeah. So you really you really do cut to the chase. Yeah, that is a big thing because you don't have to be like, oh, are we on a date or are we just hanging out? Like, no, you met on a dating app. You're on a date. <laughs> And right now, if you download Tinder with the promo code Mixed Feelings, no, that's not a thing. Tinder's oh my free. god! If we- <laughs> man, if we were sponsored by Tinder, though, I think I would leave. <laughs> I did fun fact match with a podcast once on Tinder. You matched with a podcast, so there are ads on Tinder, and so you can, but they show up as user profiles, and you can swipe right on them, and then you can learn more about it because they're interesting stuff. They're not like like dishwash ads or whatever so there was a podcast about tinder so it had tinder ads and i thought it was hilarious so i swiped right on it and then they like send you a message that's like they automatically send you a message it's like hey like blah 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 check out this thing and there was a link to the podcast and i just thought that was funny and also me matching with the podcast on tinder is the most on-brand thing i've ever done speaking of love i'm in love with 
virtually every athlete at the Olympic Games right now. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's like articles going around where people like who are near the Olympics are trying to match with these athletes on Tinder. So that's fun. Yeah, this isn't the whole topic, but isn't the Olympics village just like a hotbed of hookups? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. I mean, I was gonna say they're all adults. They're not. Some of them are very, very talented, hardworking children, and that make me insecure about myself. But um, mostly, they're all adults, and they're probably fine. They're just, you know, if you have the chance to to hook up with literally Olympians from around the world. I would maybe try to take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, that is one heck of a gene pool right there. Um, Especially when you've been probably in a whole training for four years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, um, to go off one of Quinn's earlier point, like, the some of them are kids. Yeah, didn't a 17-year-old, though, win um, a gold in snowboarding? Yeah, was it Chloe Kim? No, 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 no. It was, oh, no, the... Well, him, her too, but... Oh, yeah, my dad was talking about this person. He was like, look up Red. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Okay, so there's a kid literally named Red, which is weird. Um, Red Gerard, who won the first Olympic gold medal of 2018, and is in snowboarding. Yeah, and he's 17, um, and he actually, like, almost missed, like, he... Uh, when he woke up 20 minutes after he was supposed to and like couldn't find his jacket and he was going to be late to like getting there to getting to Olympic Village or getting to his um, thing or whatever and so he had to like borrow a friend's jacket it was just like this very dramatic sequence he was talking about when he was being interviewed after he won wasn't it because he was like having a Parks and Rec binge also oh yeah it was literally (laughs) because he overslept because he was watching Netflix the night before so pure so So young (laughs) I mean same (laughs) Except when I'm late for things, it's just, like, school. It's not the Olympics. Yeah, casual. But anyway, congrats to him and to Chloe Kim, who also won for snowboarding. And for all of the ice skaters, I love figure skating because I'm a human and it's pretty. Oh my god, it's beautiful. And they're so strong. They really are. I Sometimes I'm like, ugh, no, if I had stuck with ice skating, I could have. that could have been me. But then I'm like, no, it couldn't have. <laughs> Ice skating is the one thing I didn't get to do as a kid. So my parents kind of let us do whatever we wanted in terms of activities. Um, and I did a lot of different various sports teams and whatever. But then ice skating was the one thing I didn't get to do because I think it conflicted with something else. And my mom was like, no, you you can't. But my sister got to have ice skating lessons. And I was always jealous. Mm-hmm. Ice skating is really fun, except I have really messed up feet. So it was not a viable career choice. Mm. And then there was Mariah Nagasu, who I may have just messed up her name a little bit. If I did, I'm sorry. But she was on Team USA, and she landed the f- first triple axle by an American woman at the Olympics, only the third triple axle by a woman at the Olympics ever. It's a very impressive move, and it involves spinning three and a half times in the air while propelled by your own body and tiny blades on ice which is a format that usually makes things harder but for these people they are angels flying through the air and they can do anything Mm -hmm. and when you google her name like one of the articles that comes up is like what's a triple axel and why is it so hard for figure skaters to uh figure skaters to master and i'm like i don't know maybe because it defies the laws of physics they're so cool i every time i watch figure skating 
you sort of get used to it after I watch a lot of figure skating in the Olympics and you sort of get used to it after a while and you start to learn like oh what are the more difficult moves and all that um and then I just have to remember every time that I can barely stand on ice skates I'm actually going ice skating tonight fun fact um and I'm very excited to pretend that I'm in the Olympics until I fall (laughs) yeah I I think it's fun to go ice skating unless you're like going with someone though that like was actually an Olympian I have not gone ice skating with an Olympian, and this might be a very specific concern for you. But I have gone ice skating with people who, like, know how to ice skate in even the most basic sense of the word, and that's also a struggle. Yeah. (sighs) It's better than skiing, though. Every time I see people skiing on the Olympics, I'm like, how... I can't even get down the bunny slope without falling. Literally, I never have. I've only been skiing once in my life, so that might explain that, but not in a hurry to try again. Oh, I love skiing, which is just such a non-Jillian sentence to say. Um, I went skiing for the first time in Colorado um, two years ago, I think, and I was like very... I was waiting to like fail tremendously, but I think because it's so similar to ice skating, like the feeling of like being on a skinny blade, um, that I picked it up like relatively quickly. And so I was thriving. It was really fun. Well, I'm glad you're so special and talented and good at skiing. Oh my God. I'm not. (sighs) Besides us just gushing about how cool all the athletes are, which is to be clear, a very important part of the Olympics. It's also just a really cool thing overall. Cause I mean, it's all these countries from all over the world coming together and it's one of the most genuinely hopeful optimistic events i think in the world today in our modern age um but also a weird politics get involved like for example kim jong-un the dictator of north korea sent his sister to come sit at the games and there's like hundreds of north korean cheerleaders who are here now as well and it's a lot um, there's a lot of north korea because the, the the olympics are in south korea so um and then there's like a whole north korea sort of delegation thing going on here which is how do you feel about this what the whole like her being there Mm -hmm. i mean i guess if like if diplomatic stuff is gonna happen period like it might as well be the olympics just because it's you know one of the most universally recognized events and like international peace blah 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 um but i don't know there's it's just such there's so much nepotism involved and just with this whole situation that I'm just like, uh, I, I don't know how to feel about it. I have mixed feelings, one would say. On one hand, South Korea is probably more concerned about North Korea than any other country in the world because, like, obviously they're a huge target and they are literally bordering each other. So that's a there's a big problem and you want diplomatic relations to be open between those countries and to try to do that like and i mean south korea is paying for all the north koreans that are there as well which is i thought was interesting note on that mm-hmm. but on the other hand north korea is the subject of some of the worst human rights atrocities we've ever seen and that are hap- and that are happening in the modern world and so it's this whole weird game that the entire world is playing of like yeah we all know that north korea tortures its citizens but they have nuclear weapons, so we all just kind of tiptoe around them. And it's a really complicated situation. But I think for us as individuals who are not, um, you know, involved in the wider geopolitical diplomacy situation, just to remember not to lionize or to be sympathetic to um, people like Kim Yo-jong, who is 
Kim Dunning's sister who's at the, uh, the Olympics right now and like she shouldn't be someone that we're like oh how interesting like like this cool person who's like smiling and is nice and whatever like no she's um incredibly complicit in the literal torture of millions of people so maybe don't um and maybe just remember to um hold her in your mind as a very complicated diplomatic figure in the relations of the world but not someone that you should like yeah and i don't know it just the whole north korea situation is literally like as quinn was alluding to before how we're all tiptoeing around the fact that they have nuclear weapons it's literally like that school um analogy where it's like if the bully doesn't know or if you don't show that you're upset to the bully the bully will not bother you or something like that also speaking of people i don't like at the olympics mike pence is at the olympics ah got it great fantastic love it so much y'all this has caused some interesting friction between mike pence and adam ribbon who is the first openly gay american winter athlete which is really cool he's a figure skater and uh, mike pence is famous for being uh, super homophobic and trying to fund conversion therapy in indiana so obviously adam ribbon is not the biggest fan of him as he you know tried to fund the erasure of his existence so we just turned into a weird political thing because obviously people are asking Rippin about this because it's a very weird tension and he's like yeah no not a fan don't like that guy um and has called out um his intolerance and this kind of thing and so and then Mike Pence responded and he was like I am proud of you and all our great athletes blah 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 okay dude and then Donald Trump Jr. um publicly attacked adam rippon and was like oh if you don't want your because rippon said something about how um he doesn't want his experience at the olympics to be defined by um him speaking out against mike pence which makes sense since he also he just won a medal like he's an olympic medalist um and then donald trump jr is like well then maybe you shouldn't have been talking about him so much he is not talking about you which is not true because mike pence literally tweeted directly at him and addressed it and also, why did Donald Trump Jr. think that he even had to enter this fight in the first place and attack a, an Olympic athlete who, at this t- point in our country, because it's during the Winter Olympics, are, like, our favorite people in the world? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was not a great move, just even from, like, not aside from, like, you know, being a decent person, obviously, but then also just, like, PR right now. Like, do people, like... Do people read before they tweet? Like, anyone? No? Not anyone in that family? It's like, how oblivious do you have to be to attack an Olympian during the Olympics? They are basically our modern demigods during this time. (laughs) Yeah, like, they are sacred at this point. So this is sort of related to what we talked a little about last week, um, about billionaires and what their responsibility to society is, given that they have so much money. And so the Gates... Uh, family, Bill Gates and Melinda, actually just released their annual letter yesterday um, where they answered the 10 toughest questions that they get uh, relating to their foundation and to what they do, um, their philanthropy and things like that. And so we'll uh, link the letter, but it's actually super interesting. And I think it's one of the better letters that were written about, um, you know, answering the tough questions as opposed to some people who just sort of skirt around the issue and answer other questions that aren't the tough questions initially asked whatever Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Bill and Melinda Gates do this um, sort of annual letter every year, hence the word annual. Yes, Quinn, that's what that means. But yeah, this year is structured in the form of answers to questions as opposed to a more general statement. And yeah, I I really respect this because I feel like, I mean, obviously they're controlling their image. This is on their own website. And so they're not coming off badly in any of their answers, obviously. But um, I do think that they're genuinely answering the questions, which is a pretty cool thing. And like most people who refuse to who just, you know, answer these kinds of things with more questions, like, what is responsibility anyway, in a metaphysical sense? (laughs) What is money? It's a social construct. I mean, not wrong, but not the point. (laughs) I also find it very interesting how tough question number one that they answered was, why don't you give more in the United States? Because um, of the money that they spent, for example, last year, they spent about $500 million in the United States, which is so much money, but they spend $4 billion um, in developing countries, which is way more. Um, Yeah, and so they've spent a lot of money on vaccines, and that's why a lot of their money um, is not spent on things in the U.S. They say that they they spent $500 million um, on the U.S. this past year, and that was mostly on education, but they do a lot more when it comes to uh, international health care in terms of trying to get rid of um, these awful diseases in foreign countries. It is a little bit like... I mean, I think Maslow's hierarchy ne- hierarchy of needs is a little bit of a flawed concept, but it's that idea of like, oh, at the bottom, it's like food, water, shelter. That's the first need to fu- need you need to fulfill, and then it goes up and up and up until the top one is like spiritual fulfillment or something. It's like self enlightenment or self actualization. Buddhism, whatever. Um, and so, and it's almost like that is sort of they're working in developing countries in a lower uh one of the lower tiers which is sort of basic health care and vaccinations and all this stuff and then the united states they're working in one of the higher tiers of education um is their primary concern and so like they have it's a it's a much more direct and as they put it disproportionate impact to focus money in developing countries because the good that can be done there with relatively little not little money but like compared to what it would cost to have sort of like if we're going to speak in utilitarian terms like to put the same amount of good in the world would take more money in the united states because we have um a certain amount of baseline already that there aren't in developing countries yeah quinn made an excellent point like this theory of marginal benefit and marginal cost um and in economic terms like a dollar um in africa can do more than a dollar in north america and so that's like a, a valid argument um this idea of marginal utility and the fact that we can do more with less um, in these poorer countries. And yes, I'm aware that this is a great argument for progressive taxation, but we are not going to go there. (laughs) On a side note, we are also having a flu epidemic right now um, in the United States and elsewhere because flus don't, because disease don't respect state borders. Um, Everyone should vaccinate their kids. Just want to put that out there. Just vaccinate. Vaccinations do not cause autism. It is ridiculous to think that something being unnatural is, for some reason, bad. Literally everything is unnatural. Um, pretty much, like, most of the food that we eat, everything we do, living in houses, the internet, everything is unnatural. Vaccines help people. Vaccines saves lives. Just putting that out there. Also, paid sick leave saves lives because then people don't come to work sick and just pass it on to other people. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I'm very pro vaccination. People are like, Jillian, you're a libertarian. Like, that's an infringing of your rights. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, I enjoy life. Okay. <laughs> um, and also, like, yeah, libertarians are pretty much like laissez faire about everything. But when it comes to health, like, they take things pretty seriously. Like, okay, fine, we don't like the FDA, but we don't hate the CDC. Um, so that's a step. And then also, um, libertarians are all about you know, pretty much legalizing the drug market, except for antibiotics because of health reasons. So yes, vaccines are good. Um, I do. I am aware that parents are concerned because there have been some negative cases, but statistically speaking, that is just not probable to actually have a substantial effect or an effect on your own child. But yes, whatever, just please vaccinate your kids. This message was sponsored by Common Sense. <laughs> that was funny. That was a side note. It's just, there's a lot of flu going around right now, and it's pretty concerning. And people are dying, and it sucks. But also, back to the letter. We should just not touch people. <laughs> or that. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, spread the love, but distantly. Some of the other things that they addressed um, are, for example, are you imposing your values on other cultures? I thought the first answer was funny because Bill was like, I mean, the idea that children shouldn't die of malaria or be malnourished is not our value. It's a human value. I want to clarify that he did not say I mean in the quote. I added that editorializing because I'd like to imagine that he answered it like that. (laughs) I mean, well, (laughs) I think children surviving is good. Non-controversial statement. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, like, the least controversial statement anyone can ever say. It is good that they acknowledge this issue, though, because this is a huge problem is um, foundations and charities and stuff like this coming in from the top level and trying to work on the ground without having a comprehensive understanding of what the community actually needs can actually be highly detrimental or, at the very least, much less efficient than it could be. And so a value that they talk about holding um, is really relying on local partners and funding organizations that are already doing that work and that already understand the issues, um, which is a lot more efficient use of funds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, tough question number seven asked, why do you work with corporations? Um, and Melinda was saying how we work with companies like GSK and Johnson Johnson because they can do things no one else can. And this sort of alludes to what we were talking about Um, Last week with, okay, yes, we hate Elon Musk, but the fact that he has money and he has this private company does enable him to do these really, in quotes, cool things, like send stuff into space. Um, And so, yes, while we don't, while the idea of companies having this much power is not really a popular idea um, in society, I don't think it can be denied that they do have the resources to spend a lot on research and development um, and potentially create better vaccines that can be used cheap more cheaply in other countries and really make a difference for the children there yeah i mean as much as we'd all love to live into some kind of utopian solution like this is the world that we live in and so like these are the people that have power and the places that have power and so why not pressure them into doing good things with it Mm -hmm. it's like that saying if you can't beat them join them but don't don't i would not live my life by that (laughs) We bring up the saying, not as a recommendation. (laughs) Not even as a slight suggestion. 
I also find question number eight very interesting, which is, is it fair that you have so much influence? Which kind of gets at some of the stuff we were talking about last week, because their answer is no. It's not fair that we are very wealthy and powerful, but we are. And so we're doing our best to put that money towards good use. And I'm like, I respect this a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like some other people would try to pull it off as like, well, I deserve this because I worked so hard. And it's like, okay. And another uh, thing that Bill touched upon was... Um, if we think it's unfair that we have so much wealth, why don't we give it all to the government? And, well, as the libertarian, the resident libertarian here, I strongly support that they do not give all their money to the government. Um, and his answer is pretty good that we think there's always going to be a unique role for foundations. Um, and I think that's just a really good example of the fact that, yes, even a foundation as large as the Gates Foundation can do more in a shorter period of time because it's not say like as large or as ingrained into like the trenches of the federal government. And so like, if they want to make a decision, they don't necessarily have to pass like 20 bills and get it approved by like 500 different people. Um, and so they do have the mobility and the flexibility that say a national government would not have. Mm-hmm, for sure. They, they point out specifically that they're the largest foundation in the world, but they're still their entire endowment is less than California's public school system. Um, and so all of these amounts of money are so relative, especially compared to the United States government, which has so much money, like it's literally impossible for me to comprehend. And so in general, while I believe in like the publicization of public, is that a word? Is that the, the word for the opposite of privatization? Publicization? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I believe that we should have things like universal health care and stuff like that that should be handled by the public sector because while it is deeply imperfect, um, it at least ensures human rights that aren't controlled by like private interests and profit sharing and stuff like that. But on the other hand, when you have an, a foundation that's actually efficient and is doing good things and is able to target funds in ways that don't require all this bureaucratic red tape that is deeply deeply inefficient then like yeah i don't really i don't think they should donate all their money to the government either um i think they're can i can i have that in writing please quinn (laughs) because i don't i don't think everyone like i i have never said i think people should donate all their money to the government last week you came pretty close (laughs) i never said the government that's that's okay yeah (laughs) that's a whole different kettle of fish (laughs) i my favorite answer in this whole letter, though, is tough question number nine. What happens when the two of you disagree? Melinda says, we never disagree. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and then they started talking about their wedding gift, and it was so cute about how they got um, a statue of two birds sitting side by side, and they were staring in the same direction because it's like this concept of even though they're two separate people, they still have, you know, the same goals and ambitions in life. And I was like, wow, this got really sentimental i feel slightly uncomfortable by the amount of emotional vulnerability here but yes i'm for it because they're married people who admitted they like each other yeah in public (laughs) i i don't know about you but i feel like that is a display of you know public display of affection and i miss the days when pda stood for personal digital assistant so that's where i'm at happy valentine's day They also in this question talk about how um, people assume that Bill is calling all the shots and is the one in charge and that Melinda's like the emotional core of the foundation. Oh, give me a break. It's, that's very sexist. Um, and they were like, no, that's not true. Like we both are emotional and both analytical in different ways and we make 
decisions, but they also acknowledged that it was hard to come up with that balance at first because Bill had just finished being in charge of Microsoft. He was used to being the boss and now um, he was splitting the power with his wife, but that they like so deeply respect each other and work well together that they figured out <clears throat> that they figured out this balance and that they truly are making decisions together. Ugh, they're literal goals. They are kind of goals. I mean, being some of the richest people in the world would be goals regardless, but also they have a good marriage and they're cool and the cute kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're apparently not spoiled. I do respect what they're doing here with the foundation and they're also doing their best to peer pressure other rich people into also donating a lot of money. And so good luck. I, I support this goal. <laughs> um, and then for our pop culture segment today, we're going to talk about a movie, which everyone knows that I don't like movies, but this is really interesting. So this kid's movie was released by Sony, and it's called Peter Rabbit, and it was based on a children's book by Beatrix Potter, and it's really controversial because there's this scene in the movie where the protagonist, Peter the Rabbit, I'm assuming, um, throws blackberries at his antagonist, and then the antagonist obviously has an allergic reaction because he's allergic to these blackberries and has to use an EpiPen. Um, and so a lot of parents with children with allergies are coming up and saying that they're super concerned and that this is just not a great scene and could have been completely eliminated without really doing anything to the movie. Wait, quick question. Have you never heard of Peter Rabbit before? No. It was... That's interesting. That was, you know, it's Beatrix Potter. That was like one of the books we had as a kid and stuff. And like, I could tell from the way you were describing it that you had no, you were like Peter Rabbit, <laughs> that you have never heard of this before. Yeah. Yeah. It's Peter Rabbit, you know. So rabbit. me and Quinn had very different initial reactions uh, to this. And then I actually ended up s agreeing with Quinn at the end. So I'm going to let Quinn, um, which is a which is something that doesn't really happen. I mean, I think we agree about a lot of things. Yeah, we, I, I guess we just don't agree about taxes. Is that? I feel like that's just the core of... And billionaires. We just don't agree on how large sums of money should be used, basically. <laughs> yeah. But with this in particular, so when you initially brought this story to me, you were like, this is silly. Like, why are yeah. people this concerned about a cartoon? But there's two really important factors. One, not a cartoon. It's like a real dude. So they're like computer-generated animals, but they're in the real world and so this is like a, a person realistically suffering from an allergy attack on screen which is concerning um so that's a big issue and then so then for my project i read this and i was like i kind of I, I get the concern though so my brother um is deathly allergic to peanuts and so he's carried an epipen with him his entire life and like he's never had any really serious issues but he has always had this epipen and he's had to learn how to use it and if you don't know epipens are terrifying um there's these little tubes and they have a needle in them with emergency allergy medicine and so if you start suffering from attack you have to take it and just jab it into your thigh and the needle comes out and injects you with this medicine that stabilizes you until you can get to the hospital and so it's an absolutely essential life-saving thing and in the movie um like, they fire a blackberry into his mouth, and then he collapses, appears to be dead. And then he has to inject himself with an EpiPen, goes into anaphylactic shock, and collapses. Which is pretty graphic for a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... So, my, um... The reason I ended up obviously siding with Quinn on this was because, at first, I didn't realize that it was, like, 
because I, I saw the picture and I was like, oh my god, it is a cartoon. Like, I've seen some pretty violent episodes of Roadrunner and Coyote with dropping of anvils. <laughs> and no one was complaining about that. Um, but yeah, the fact that, you know, it does involve, um, you know, real humans and even though they're actors and whatever. Um, but it just, it, it, it does become very real. And I do think that it, it would be safe to say that I feel like movies especially have are very can be very impressionable on young kids and so this is just this is just scary for those who do have allergies and then it just it treats the matter very um trivially and kind of lessens the importance or the gravity of the situation if someone does have um, an allergic reaction to something yeah and it's also very concerningly weaponized like i don't really some kids are terrible and i don't really want to show kids an example of the heroes of the movie using allergies as a weapon against someone that they don't like not a great look yeah usually in movies we like to um use we like to deal with the concept of picking on people for their weaknesses not their immune systems rough (laughs) the whole thing with this and the comparison to like roadrunner cartoons is interesting though because we do show kids these weirdly violent things all the time. And we laugh at them. Or and at we laugh, I laugh at, them. at them. They're funny. But I, th- I think this is different because it is realistic. It's like it's not a silly thing with like cartoon um, weapons and all this. And also like in those kinds of cartoons, the characters are often, they like have stars over their eyes and they'll fall over and then they're back up in the next scene with no, none the worse for wear, right? But like in this scene in particular, and I haven't seen it because I haven't seen the movie, but they describe like he collapses into shock and has to use his EpiPen, which um, I'm sure it was not depicted that graphically um, because this is a kid's movie, but I'm this is a thing that would be familiar to kids and they would actually see this person in harm as opposed to like a cartoon character that's very clearly fine immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the cartoon characters that don't age and just totally fine in the next five seconds. Um, and also, I do appreciate, I guess, the idea of Sony being a corporation and like still having to address the needs of its consumers just because, you know, this is a movie business and rule number one is that the customer or the moviegoer is always right and rule number two is that if the customer is wrong, please refer to rule number one. So I really do like this idea of... Even if I don't necessarily, even if it's another movie, I don't necessarily agree with it. Like, I still appreciate the fact that people can, you know, boycott things. And I don't know. It's just fun. It's like, yay, capitalism, but from the other side. What a fun capitalist experience. (laughs) It is true, though. People vote with their dollars. And if this movie doesn't, I don't think that it's also gotten great reviews either, but if it draws a lot of criticism for this and a lot of people say, I'm not going because of this, and then it doesn't do well, then that sends a pretty clear message. Opposed to if people complain about it and then it still does really well, then it'd be like, well, whatever. On the topic of movies, though, just a shout out to Black Panther that comes out this week. I'm very hyped to see it. It's getting very good reviews and I'm excited. Ah, uh, yay! I love superhero movies. Hopefully we'll be able to see it soon and report back. Yes. Because, you know, people will listen to this for our movie reviews. And that's going to be all from us today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at MixedFeelingsFM. Or you could find us online at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where you can see our show notes. 
or there's a contact form if you want to send us an email. Also, bonus this week in the show notes, even though we didn't talk about this, there's going to be a link to the Westminster Dog Show because there are so many good dogs. Mm-hmm. I can't even call dogs dogs anymore. I call them doggos or puppers. Yes, many, many good doggos. We couldn't really make a topic out of it because it would just be us talking about how much we like dogs. And floofers. And floofers, yeah, which I feel like we've already done. But pictures of dogs in the show notes. (laughs) Quality content. Anyway, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can follow me at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me at Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Happy birthday, Jillian. Thanks for talking with me. Happy Valentine's Day, Quinn, and thanks for talking to me. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.